about two weeks ago, uh, Sister Lori started us off on a, um, a great route of just spiritual warfare in the mind. Amen. And I want to, we talked about it last week. I want to really go forth in that again this week. Amen. So God's word constantly tells you that you're in a spiritual battle, which is like a war. It describes it as a fight, as a wrestling match. Um, and this battle rages not in your mind, not only in your mind, um, in our flesh, and as we talked about last week, your flesh throughout the word is described as a mindset that is opposing God, amen? And through our feelings, through our feel, anybody ever woke up and said, I don't feel. We are such a touchy-feely generation of people, of Christians. Um, if, if it's raining, we feel down. If it's, if, if for anything, we have a reason as to why we feel. Uh, we feel because somebody upset us, or we feel because, um, because things in our life aren't the way they should be. So we feel, we feel, we feel. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. I'm just saying, we, you have to understand that um, our first scripture is Romans chapter 7, verse 23. And I have a couple, or a lot of scriptures for you tonight, and I would pray that you would read them on your own time. No way men's there, but that's all right. I'm just saying. <laughs> Romans 7, verse 23, and it says, But I see another law in my members, warring, or waging war, against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Note the words here. He uses words of like members and warring against and in my mind. Uh, the apostle is speaking here of a battle, a war, a conflict that is going on in his inner thoughts. Amen. Uh, Satan puts these lying thoughts in our minds and our defense and the only way of defending yourself is to know, to understand, and to obey God's word. Amen. Uh, as we spoke of last week, Romans 12, 2, uh, which says to be renewed in your mind. And now when he talks about these members of his body, do you know what he's talking about? When he uses that word members, he, it's not like he has a, a clubhouse in his body. He's talking about your eyes, your hands, your legs, your thoughts, and and, your, and, and the different members of your, of your anatomy, I'll just leave it at that, that cause you to sin. And he says they, it, it's almost as if they have a mind of their own and they are waging war against my mind. Somebody can attest to the fact that sometimes uh, when you go to church, you don't feel like raising your hands. And it's like your hands, you, your heart wants to, but your hands will not do it. Sometimes you don't want to dance before God, but you know, I've never done that. And I'm not gonna, because your body is in constant war with God. We talked about it last week in Romans chapter 8. Where your, your mind and your body has constant enmity between God and you, amen? Um, in Ephesians chapter 2, actually I'll go Colossians chapter 1 verse 21 first. And it says this, for once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil. At one point in your life, before you came to, to a knowledge of Christ, that's what the Bible says, to love your enemies. Why? Because you were all enemies of God before you ever gave God a chance in your life. So every sinner right now is the enemy of the state, basically, when it comes to God. They're an enemy of God, but that's why God says, still love your enemies, because I love them. Because every sinner out there, every person who you think is a horrible person because they're not in church, God loves them just as much as he loves you, and they're his enemies, the Bible says. You were once an alien. You were in a place where you did not belong, and God did not know you. Amen? Um, it says in, in this scripture, um, in Ephesians chapter 2, wherein in the past time you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the ear, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we shall. We all had our conversations in times past. Uh, conversations of lust and of the flesh and of fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and whereby nature the children of wrath, even as others, meaning that you at one point in time were one of these people. You hearing that? At one point or another, you were one of these people who fulfilled all the desires of your lustful heart, and at this point in time, you still might be doing some things that are of a lustful desire. You could bring my gain down, man, the gain. And you still might be doing some things that are of a lustful desire, amen? Um, how quickly is it that we judge other people 
and we forget where we came from and realize that we were once just as bad as them or if not worse than them. It's like when somebody used to be on state and now you're not on state no more and you look down upon everybody else who's getting assistance from the state. I'm just saying, and now you're better than everybody because you have arrived. You have arrived and you are there now because you no longer have to get assistance. No amens on that one. And you now think you're better than somebody because now you just got a house. So I'm not knocking you guys or you. I'm just saying in general. Or you got this new car and now you have arrived. And you look down upon different people now and say, oh, you know what? Everybody wants to be my friend now. And this and that. Instead of saying, wow, I have more of an opportunity to reach out to somebody now. Man, we have a twisted way of looking at things. Hey, Julie and Carla. We have such a messed up way of looking at things throughout our life. And it seems that once we come to God, we used to be like, I'm not going to go to church because it's a place to burn down. And now we come to God and say, don't come to church because it will burn down. You're going to go to hell. And we send people to hell in a handbasket quick, man. But the Bible tells you right there, you were once one of these people. You were once somebody who's stuck in a situation. Spirit of God speaking to me right now. There's somebody here who's stuck in a horrible relationship situation. I'm going to leave it at that. I don't know who you are. I know who you are, but I'm just going to say, I'm just leaving it at that. You need to let that go. Amen? Uh, in the past, prior to submitting to God, you were in a place where, where you were not going to do anything that God wanted you to do. Amen? And that you had these morals in your life, but yet your heart was far from God. Amen? Your thinking was wrong. Uh, to be renewed in your mind to means to, to be transformed in your thinking. That word mind in Greek refers to not your actual brain, but to the process of you seeking God, amen, and how you think about your life, amen. Um, the Bible describes this battle going on in your thoughts, and the outcome should always be that you transform from a worldly doubtful thinking, somebody say doubtful, uh, doubtful thinking of God, and think along the line of God's word, even as having the mind of Christ. As we spoke last week, Romans 8, 7 says, For your carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, or nor ever can it be. Uh, Romans 8, 6 says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. This war it rages, and it will rage to the day you die, in your heart and in your mind. It is opposed to a spiritual, Christ-centered lifestyle. You have to understand, as long as you are chasing after a spiritual, Christ-centered lifestyle, you will go through hell in your mind. You've got to understand this. Once you knock this out the park, you'll be like, okay, I'm good. Once you understand that every day, you will go through all types of negative thinking in your mind, all types of negative thoughts, could you, when's the last time the devil tried convincing you you weren't going to get paid on Friday? When's the last time the devil tried to convince you that, that you, that, that, you get what I'm saying here? That your bills weren't going to come in? When's the last time the devil tried convincing you that, 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 let's say just that, that you didn't have to pay your cable bill that month? Or your, 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 your landlord going to come and say you don't got to pay your rent? Or the bank's going to send you. We paid your mortgage for you this month. We love you. When's the last? Why? Because the enemy is out to make you doubt in your mind. He doesn't attack your, your financial way of thinking. He attacks your faith in God that he can't supply your finances. He never attacks the fact that you're not going to get paid in your job. He makes you think the job that God gave you is not going to be enough to sustain yourself. And everything he goes to attack at the end comes back to one thing. God. You hearing me? When's the last time you saw a sinner or someone who's not saved, because we're all sinners still, I'm sorry, someone who hasn't come to the realization of Christ, blame God for their finances? No, they do whatever they have to do to work it out. They might get depressed on themselves, but they don't blame God. But once you get God in your life, it's like a, you can point the finger at him for everything because the devil is out to make you weak in your spiritually Christ-centered mind. Write that down, that you need a Christ-centered mind. It is a war between truth and error, between right and wrong, or between holy and unholy. Amen? Ephesians 4.22 is an awesome scripture, and it says, put off concerning the old man, 
which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Put off the old way of thinking, which is after righteousness. You hearing me? A person needs to be in God's way of thinking. And it says in the spirit of your mind. So it identifies now that you have a human mind, your brain, and your way of thinking. And now you have a spiritual mind, which is the center of your, your spiritual life, where it controls every thought pattern and every desire you have in your spirit. So you have your human mind and your spiritual mind, like you have your body, your soul, and your spirit, three completely different parts of you. Your body is the physical. Your soul is what right now is in between, is in between your spirit and your body, and your spirit is what's going to go on to heaven or hell. You hearing me? You've got to understand that you have a spiritual mind. That's why you hear preachers say, put your spiritual glasses on. Put your spiritual ears on so you can hear this, you can comprehend it. You have got to be able to defend yourself from realizing the enemy is after one thing, your foundation in God. And if he can get you to that point where you're doubting God's foundation, he can destroy anything, amen? Uh, much of the world, people's minds are full of thoughts of the world, of the programs on the radio and television or, or movies and what the newspapers are saying, but never of Christ. And when the time of testing comes, they easily fall away. Uh, their foundation being their thinking is not built on God. So if your thinking is not built on the foundation of God, meaning your way of thinking is not always Christ-centered and Christ-based, and every way you look at something has to have an aspect of God in it. Case in point, when you see uh, somebody on the street, and they have a sign, and, and they have a sign that says, a homeless, ready to work, please help, or food, whatever it says. And we could do one of two things. And I heard something funny one time, but when I thought about it, it wasn't that funny. Somebody said, well, where did they get the money to buy the marker to write that? And where they get that board from? I thought it was hysterical. I was crying. I was laughing. And the guy spoke to me and said, well, how about, how did they get there in their life and they still need Christ because they're a soul? How are you looking at things? Somebody asked you for $5. I'm not going to give you $5. No, I don't know what you're going to do. You're going to drink it away instead of saying, this is an opportunity for me to say, I won't give you some money, but I'll take you to McDonald's to get you something to eat. And in that time, you can talk to them about God. Do you have a Christ mind or do you have a mind of the world? A carnal way of thinking is anything against and opposing what God would want you to do. Amen? Uh, Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. Write that down. Philippians 2 5. And it says, uh, let this mind be in you which also was in Christ Jesus. That's one of the greatest scriptures in the Bible where it says to have the mind of Christ. To, to understand and be encouraged in that mind of Christ. We need to take on that mindset. Why is it that we, we, we truly just, you know, we, how many of you really want to seek God with all your heart? Raise your hand. You want to seek God everything you do, right? If all of us want that, then why don't we do the things that would make us get to that point? It would seem that if you want that, when you want a promotion in your job, you work hard. And you do everything you can, but because it's a spiritual, it's like Lori said, there's spiritual steps, and physically there's steps to actually go do things. We have to do the spiritual steps, and because we don't, we don't do that. Why? You get what I'm saying? You cannot expect God to keep on moving in your life and doing things in your life if you're not doing things that God would want you to do. If you're not planting seeds in, in, in your mind of the Word of God, you're not reading your Bible, you're, you're not going to have no way to defend yourself. The only way to defend yourself against the devil is to speak the word of God. You hearing me? You have to have that lifestyle, that mindset of God. Uh, it is also written, and it's in um, Colossians 2, verse 18. Colossians 2, 18. Let no man beguile you of your reward in voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. What is it saying? Beguile. That word beguile means to trick you. It means to, to, to trick you with flattery is what it really means. To tell you, oh, I know you have a call in God. You should do this, 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 and that. And try and get you to work some way towards God that is not really the way God wants you to work. There's many a church who will take and they will use people and abuse of them and burn them out. And that's why so many people don't want to come to church. Because they've been hurt by church. Is it not true? I bet you, I guarantee you, everybody in this room has somebody you know or in your family 
who doesn't come to church because some church and the view of that church and how that church hurt them. I had somebody who came to me on Monday evening. Uh, the person was shaking, almost had an anxiety attack because they were afraid to meet me because the last pastor that said there was a pastor cussed them out so badly and scared them for their life so badly that they were afraid to even come meet another pastor. Almost went into an anxiety attack in Jim's car. Am I lying, Jim? Shaking when she came to talk to me. Shaking in my office. I said, why are you afraid? Well, the last view I have of, of a pastor, it just really hurt me. This is the view that the world has of the church. You hearing this? Don't let nobody trick you. Um, Colossians 2, 4 and 8 says, In this I say, lest any man should beguile, trick you, with enticing words, beware, lest any man spoil your spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men and after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. And it's talking here about just the wrong way of following God, the wrong way of thinking about God. I heard something, I was sharing with Yvette, I was at the bookstore and I, I met up with a young man there who happened to come by uncle's bookstore and um, he said one of the things, I wanted to slap him. He said something so, well, dumb. And uh, he was, he's, he's the gentleman who's, he's like, him and Jesus are best friends. And no pastor or bishop or apostle hears from God like this young man does. And he said to me, I only read the King James Bible. Because, you know, all these other translations are twisting and contorting the word of God. And God meant it to be in the King James Version. That's how, I said, that's so dumb. I said, why don't you go learn Hebrew and Greek, because that's how it was written. If you're going to be that holy-minded, because the only reason it's called King James is because some king in England named James decided to translate it into English from Latin. Matter of fact, I said, you're Puerto Rican. Go read the Spanish Bible, because it's closer to Latin and Greek than English is. So know your stuff before you say it. He's just repeating what somebody else told him. The, the stuff I'm saying right now, how do you know it's true? Because you've got to go home and read it. What? Why, why do you think I'm giving you these scriptures? Because I want you to know that it's actually in the Bible. I don't make this stuff up. You can't be so easily twisted into thinking how somebody thinks. You hear one little preacher and it sounds good. You never, te never even tested the word and you run with it. Oh, we don't celebrate Halloween and this and that. Let me tell you something. Halloween is of the devil, Yes. But Israel always had a harvest fest. And I was condemned. Our church was going to hell because we had a harvest party for our children. And we were going to hell because we had a party. And there was a harvest party. Every year the Israelites went before God and thanked them for the harvest. You have to understand where the stuff comes in the Bible. You can't go from one extreme to the other just because somebody said so. You have to guard your mind. If you don't know the Bible, you don't know the history of the Bible you are not going to be able to defend yourself when somebody comes against your thought process. And they're after one thing, after your Christ-centered mind. Ephesians 6, verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers and against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, or spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That was from the NIV, Justin. I like that better in the NIV. I just want to put that out there. There is a war going on, a wrestling match against Satan and his forces. You have to understand this. Throughout the Bible, it's, it's referring to this, this battle, this struggle. Heaven had a war. One third of the angels fell. Who do you think you are that you won't have to go do the same thing? There's going to be this constant. I, I need you to understand that you're going to have this constant battle. That at some point, you're going to have to mature. And you're going to have to say, I'm a grown Christian. I've been here for quite some time. Or I'm, I'm surrounded by people who have been here quite some time. You cannot afford to be in this same immature level, dealing and struggling with the same thing. The Bible says to stop, keep on laying down the altar of repentance. So don't keep going back to that foundation. You don't have to lay that foundation back and forth when you're repenting because you can't capture your mind. You remember how to capture your mind? Speak the word. We did it last week. I had you count to 20. Asked your name. You spoke your name. Your, your, your thinking automatically stopped because you spoke something. 
when the enemy comes in, he's going to attack your family, your church, and your mind. He's going to attack everything around you. You've got to speak to him. No, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It is with your mind you serve the Lord. Amen? Um, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which um, is to try you, as though some strange thing were happening unto you. It's 1 Peter 4.12. But call to remembrance, this is Hebrews now, call to remembrance the former days in which you, after ye were illuminated in the NIV, it says, found the light, endured a fight of affliction. Ye endured that fight of affliction. I love Hebrews 10. If you, you need a Bible a verse to read tonight, you'll get to Hebrews 10. The end is like the best part in the Bible where it says, but we are not of those that shrink back. We don't fall back. We don't get under this attack and fall back. That's not God's will for your life. God has called you to go and fight forward. But we are not of those that shrink back. We are those of take the prize and we have eternal life. Why? Because we have a mindset centered on Christ. And when you have a mindset centered on Christ, you cannot help but be victorious in your life. You hearing this? You are not wrestling with earthly things, but with spiritual things. Once you give your life to God, you will always be on the opposite side of Satan, which means you're going to have to go against him. You cannot be doing things that Satan would do, FYI. You cannot watch things that Jesus would not watch with you. Pastor, are you telling me that if I go to the movies, I might have to get up and walk out? Yes, but I paid 10 now. But if there's something in there that does not agree with God, then be a true Christian and get up and walk out. Pastor, are you telling me that I have to watch what, I, what kind of music I listen to? Yes, because the enemy will come into your mind with music. We have to stop these things. If Jesus would not do it, you need not do it. If you're going to say something that you would not say in front of Jesus, you shouldn't say it. I've said this a thousand times. If you have to question it, it's out of the question. In your mind, you've got to make a conscientious decision that you are going to be, number one, faithful to God, faithful to your walk with God, and faithful to the people who are looking up to you and surrounding you. You don't know who's looking up to you. You have to realize that people, once you say you go to church, they look at you differently. The moment you tell them you're from church, if they haven't been able to tell already, and sometimes some of us have to tell them, I go to church, because they can't see it in you. I'm just saying. Somebody called me today and said, Pastor, or they texted me, I did it. What'd you do? I did it. What is it? I got a faux hawk. I was like, Oh, awesome. In case you don't know what that is, it's the same haircut I got. It's like, awesome. Two weeks ago, somebody texted me and said, Pastor, you were right. I like my beard thicker. I'm not going to do the little beard no more. You never know who's looking up to you. You never know. Um, this, this young lady from your job has a son named Justin. I think I told you this story, and I was at the barbershop, and he walks in. He came to our kids' summer camp. He's sitting in the chair next to me. He's like, hi, Pastor. I'm like, um, hey. Couldn't forget, remember your name. It was horrible. I felt bad. He had like, you know, 50 kids. I couldn't remember this kid's name. I know his father. I'm talking to his dad. And what do you want? I want the haircut the pastor has. Like, your hair is not long enough. But I want that haircut. Your hair is not long enough. We'll make it long enough. We're going to have to pull it. I don't care. Like, he wanted the haircut the pastor had. You, you, have to, you don't know who's looking up to you until you take account of what God is doing. I realized that I had to stop some things in my life when every Sunday little kids kept on saying, I thank God for the pastor. I thank God for the pastor. Wow, that puts a weight on your shoulders to realize that these kids are looking up to you. They're not looking to these movie stars. They're not looking to anybody else. They're not looking to all these sports. They're looking to a pastor. And they'll walk up to you. You're, I love you, pastor. It's like, oh, okay. Huh? Uh. But these people look up to you. If you look around the sanctuary during praise and worship, there's always at least two kids playing air drums. To them, Reuben's their leader. There's people looking at the guitarist now. And to them, that's their leader. You don't know who's looking up to you. As a matter of fact, some of you don't want people looking up to you, so you have no expectation to fulfill. You've got to realize that. 
I've been having a conversation with some people. You need to grow up and stop being so silly in church. You have to be mature. You've been here for a lifetime. Grow up. Stop all the foolishness, all the stupid little things that make people that that's, that's so-and-so. They, well, they're not going to come to you for advice because you act like a joke. You're going to be a joke in their mind. If you're always fooling around, never serious, they can't take you seriously. Why? Because you're giving them the wrong perception in their mind. You hearing that? Now, you have to realize that in your mind, the outward things that come out through the members of your body are the way people will perceive you. In case you missed that. If a girl dresses very revealing, um, people are going to develop a mental concept of what kind of a woman she is. Am I lying? If she, he said a garden tool, if she were to keep on wearing these short skirts or, or, or these leggings, as they call them, uh, or these super tight tights and these low-cut shirts, people are going to think and she will attract that kind of attention. You follow me? Um, if a guy, on the other hand, is messing around with a bunch of girls, he's going to be perceived as a man who's a dog who can't be trusted. So the things you think inside reflect on your exterior and people form an opinion of you based on how you act, how you feel, and how you deal with your own body. So if you're always acting foolish, people are going to think they can't be serious with you and that you are a Christian joke. If you act like a sinner all the time, they're not going to think you're a Christian. And then we get offended when they ask us to go out. Oh, I didn't know you go to church. You following me? I'm not, I'm not hurting your feelings tonight, am I? You have to realize that um, 2 Corinthians 7.5 says, Trouble is on every side. For when we were come into Macedonia, it says, Our flesh had no rest. But we were troubled on every side without were fightings. Within were fears. So on the exterior they were fighting and on the inside they were afraid. Why? Why? Because they were being persecuted. They were being beaten. Uh, people were uh, mad at them. But they were not ashamed of the gospel. They didn't back down when somebody said something negative about their belief. Why? Because back to Hebrews 10, we are not of those that shrink back. Revelation 20, verse 8 says, beware. Revelation 28, 20, verse 8, excuse me. Because Satan goes out to deceive the nations. Verse 10 says, for indeed he did deceive them. The scripture tells you that he's out to deceive the world. In Revelation 12, 9, it tells you the enemy is out to deceive the world. One way he does it is in your mind and in your thinking. So what should we do? What should you do? Despite all that we go through, seemingly the endless struggle in our minds, we are to be fully persuaded, Romans 14, 5, in our minds. To be fully persuaded. Amen? We are not to walk as other Gentiles, slash that word out, what it means is sinners, walk in the vanity of their mind, Ephesians 4, 17. You're not supposed to look like the world. To act like them, to think like them, to talk like them. Amen? Luke 12, 29. We are not to be of a doubtful mind. Amen? Romans 8, 7. For the carnal mind is enmity between God. These are the things you should do. You should be writing these verses down. I'm telling you, when you get into these troubles, you can, write, you can just refer to these. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2. And it says, where we are not to be soon shaken in our mind or to be troubled. You should not be shaken in your mind. You should not be troubled because the enemy came against you. Uh, we talk about it every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Friday. The enemy's coming out for you. And when he comes to you, you act like you're surprised. I can't believe I'm going through this. We've been telling you that it was going to be like this from Jump Street. And now you're upset because you're going through. How foolish can we be? And once we're going through, we're shaken in our faith. Why? We knew this was coming. Did you not tell the person next to you? You knew. 
But you should not be shaken in your mind. 1 Peter 1.13 Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind and, and be sober <laughs> and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Gird up the loins of your mind. My God. When you think about this scripture, and it's God told Abraham that from your own loins shall you bring forth a son. I'm going to leave you to believe what loins is. I'm not going to break it that low for you. So you're telling me that my mind has loins and that now it can reproduce life or reproduce death. So when you put it into perspective, what it's telling you is your mind is a reproductive organ that can produce something in your life if you let it. One thing you learn about women, women are multipliers. You give them some groceries, they'll give you a meal. You get what I'm saying? Women give you kids when you give, yeah, my point. Women are by nature are multipliers. You give them hell, they'll multiply that too. I'm just saying. I'm saying. You give them a dollar, they'll give you pennies. You go poly. Women, by nature, are nurturers and multipliers. You have to understand this. Your mind, likewise, can multiply things. It is the, it, the Bible says, gird up the loins of your mind. Pick it up, protect it, gird it, sustain it. The Bible says, gird up my legs so I can stand in the holy place. What does that mean? Support it. To gird your legs, to support your mind. Gird up the reproductive part of your mind so that you can protect it from the enemy. So that when it comes time to reproduce something, you're not reproducing what he's planting, but what God is planting. Amen? Romans 7.23. It talks about the members of your body warring against your mind. Colossians 1.21 is a great verse speaking about the enemy is trying to be in your mind. Ephesians 4, or excuse me, Ephesians 2 verse 3 talks about fighting in the, your mind concerning the desires of your mind. Ephesians 4.17 talks about the vanity of your mind. You should really check these out at home. I'm telling you. We went over all these already, but read these. Colossians 2.18 talks about fighting the fleshly mind. Luke 12.29 talks about fighting the doubtful mind. Romans 8.7 the carnal mind, which we found out last week, the carnal means flesh mind, meaning an attitude or a mindset that is adverse to God's will. And Second Thessalonians is about your shaken mind. We've read it three weeks in a row. For the weapons of your warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through the pulling down of strongholds. So what should we do? I said all that to tell you these next few verses. Amen. You ready? Number one, be ye transformed. Romans 12, 2. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. Casting down every imagination. We talked about that last week. The image that is in your mind of sin. Remove the image, amen? Also, same scripture, it says, bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Romans 8, 6, be spiritually minded with God. Ephesians 4, 22, if you don't have that one yet, it says put off the old man. It's telling you to put off your old way of living. Philippians 2, 5, let the mind of Christ live in you. Amen. Some of you have this one already, Colossians 2, 18, we said it earlier. Let no man beguile you. Colossians 2, 8 says, let no man spoil your mind. Romans 14, 5, be ye fully persuaded. It says that I am persuaded that neither heaven nor hell, all of creation nor angels nor demons and nothing be persuaded. Tell the person next to you, persuaded. Come on, tell them persuaded. persuaded. Say it like you mean it. Persuaded. We talked about this one already, Luke 12, 29. Do not have a doubtful mind. Do not be soon shaken. We said that was 2 Thessalonians. Do not be troubled. That's also 2 Thessalonians. We just told you, gird up your loins of your mind. Be sober. Huh? Somebody say, be sober. Tell the person next to you, be sober. 1 Peter 1.13. Hope to the end for grace. Hope to the end for grace. The results of all these things 
should be, number one, a spiritual mind, a mind without doubts, a mind that is not shaken, a transformed mind, a renewed mind, a mind that is persuaded, a mind in Christ, and a mind that has been protected of its loins, and a new man, hoping to the end for grace. Sin is running rampant in the church. Adultery is running rampant throughout the body. Homosexuality in our world is ridiculous. Abortion and illicit of sex is at an all-time high. Drunkenness, drugs, and all types of wickedness are in the body and in the world and in, around us. We face this fight on every side. The enemy prompts us to sin and we sin. We are ignorant to the plan of Satan in our life. One flesh also lusts after material things, or lust, excuse me. Many people lie, cheat, steal, and everything seems to get worse. Galatians 5, 7. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? It's a question. What hinders you that you stopped obeying God? That word hinder is to stop. You hearing me? What stopped you from obeying God? What brought you to the point of desperation? To the point where you were hurting? To the point where you had to have such a breakthrough? We should never get to the point where we need God so desperately that our world relies and revolves around this one thing we need God to do for us. Nothing should be that important except getting to heaven. We have got to stop putting so much importance on things that are not important. Put into perspective. You know what one of the greatest things in life is to make you put things into perspective? Well, it's not the greatest thing. It's one of the worst things. When somebody dies in your life, it makes you reevaluate your entire life and what's important to you. And you find out who your real friends are. I'm speaking from experience. It makes you reevaluate what was important, uh, how, how close you are with the people around you, your family, your loved ones. It could have been you. It should have been you, matter of fact. But yet, because of his grace, we are constantly in a war. We need to be a servant of righteousness, amen? The Bible says in James 4, 1, from whence comes wars and fightings among you? It's a question. The Bible is asking you, where does this war and fighting among you come? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? He says, dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from these fleshly lusts which war against the soul. That's 1 Peter 2, 11. So James says, why are you fighting amongst yourself? How many of you can say, I've been fighting amongst myself? You know what I'm tired of? I'm, I'm going to help you guys out. I'm going to really help you out. There's this word that's coming into the church, and it's been around for thousands of years, and I want to reword it for you. Um, I'm tired of Christians saying, I'm confused. You're not confused. You're convicted and what you have to do, because of your confusion, it's going to hurt. So you say it's confusion because your mind of Christ tells you to run, but your mind of the flesh tells you to stay. You're not confused. You're convicted. So when you're going to be foolish enough to say, I'm confused about my life, it's really saying you're convicted but unwilling to run from the thing which God has convicted you from. Everybody said, wow. Nobody wanted to say it out loud. It's like, oh, talk about, amen, wow. Did y'all catch that? So next time somebody says, I'm confused. No, no, you're convicted. You're convicted. God gave me that when I was talking to somebody who was confused about an alternative lifestyle. I said, you are not confused. I was like, girl, you are convicted. And you know you got to change your life. <laughs> you're right. Well, then go change it. You get what I'm saying? Don't let the enemy think that you're confused. He takes the things that God means to change your conviction of the Holy Spirit and makes it seem like if it's not the right thing. You get what I'm saying? You got to stop being like the rest of the world and to keep on conforming. My sociology teacher said the other day that the normal thing to do in society, he said the norm is to conform. Well, I don't want to be normal then. Because I'm not going to be identified as somebody who conforms to the world. That's not me. That's not, how I, that's not how I live my life. 
I take convictions and I do something with them, amen? As believers, we all had our conversations in the times past in the lust of our flesh and fulfilling the desires of that mind. You hearing that? When we were not saved, we had these desires. We all had this issue and these problems. But now that we know what we should do, and I told you what now should happen when you do the things that you should do, when you stop having a doubtful mind. And you, you, you catching this today? You know, I told somebody. I got a phone call today. And I had to speak with somebody. who I kind of know them, kind of don't really know them. And they were going through a horrible time in their life about something. And um, I began to talk to them. I had to meet me at the office. And I um, was just sewing into their life and speaking with them. And upon the speaking with them, is that Jesus? I'm just kidding. I'm just playing. <laughs> what? I know her. I'm just, just kidding. Somebody say hi. <laughs> so what happens is this, this girl, I, she's sitting here, and she's bawling about this whole life drama she's having, and, and, I was, and she's back and forth in between what she knows she has to do and what she knows she, she doesn't want to do. And I went back to that scripture, James. He said, a double-minded person is unstable in all they do. So if one situation gets you to be unstable, you're going to be unstable in everything. I said, I bet you you're unstable with telling your family about this. You don't know what they're going to think about you and that person. She starts bawling. I was like, I bet you're unstable about even going to work today. I said, that's not your car outside. And I bet you're unstable that you drove somebody else's car to hide from the person so they won't recognize you when you're driving around town because you're unstable in your mind. I said, you're unstable right now as I'm speaking to you to change your number or not to get away from that person because you're unstable in your mind. And you're unstable in the fact that whether you want to keep on working at your job because they know where you work at. And I went down the line about 15 to 20 things, what they were unstable about. And they, they, they failed to realize until that point that that one thing was taking up so much time and real estate in their mind. God wants you to be a decisive person. And once you decide to follow him, he wants you to do the unthinkable. Follow him. Isn't that horrible? When you tell somebody you're going to do something and you don't do it, you've laid down a false expectation, correct? But it's okay for us to do it to God time and time again. Julie and Carla, from, to my knowledge, are kind of like best friends. And if every time they're supposed to do something together, the other one dissed the other back and forth, they would not be best friends for very long. Or they would be best friends, according to our terminology, and, but they would really not really like each other. It's one of those best friends that you hate. I've had those when I was younger. Best friends I really couldn't stand. And they were only my best friends because they were my best friend's best friends. Did judges catch that? You see, I'm going to save this for next week because I want to continue with this topic and be more in-depth. But this is my end game. I'm going to tell you this. I, I was thinking about some stuff. And I told my praise and worship this, I believe, on Sunday. How many Puerto Ricans do you have in the building? Raise your hand if you're Spanish. Woo! Somebody. Mary, I got you too. You, 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 you're, you don't even know Mary, but you're Puerto Rican. I'm just saying. <laughs> we inducted you in. Renati, you speak better Spanish than I do. Don't worry. She's German but speaks Spanish with a better accent than me, I'm just saying. And when you were young and you smelled the fire, saw the fire trucks, what does everybody do? You go see that fire. Anybody ever seen a cop drive down the street? Follow him, follow him and see where he goes. Because we're Puerto Rican. I don't, I'm just saying. <laughs> Got some conviction in the fourth row. <laughs> And you see these cops flying. Oh, let's see what they're doing. They're going to go pick up Pookie. I'm just saying, like, you know. And you know why? Especially with a fire. The thing about a fire is this. You never have to advertise a fire. You don't got to tell nobody, oh, the house down the street is burning because everybody can smell it and see the excitement. You never have to tell people to go look at it because they want to go on their own accord because everybody loves to watch a fire burn. I don't know why. We just sit, ever seen a fire and a campfire and you're just sitting there in front of just making s'mores and you get lost in a fire? If you have never had that experience, you are troubled, but I'm just saying that 
that if you've ever been around a fire, had the privilege of making shmores, shmores, I call them shmores. I did that at Lori's house, and I'm sitting there, and just like, like, what's the matter, Pastor? Like, nothing. <laughs> Watching the flames licking up at the wood, just nothing. Lost. You know why? Because fire attracts people. Well, don't, don't clap just yet, D. Give me a second here. She wants to go home. <laughs> So if you, this is the amazing part, if you, I don't know if I want to tell you all this, if you got on fire for God, why do you think the church is growing? Because when you're on fire for God, people want to come and see it. People want to find out what is going on. I was walking down the school in the hallway, uh, the hallway down in school. And like, hi, pastor. Like, what's your church son? They're like, great. I didn't see you, but God bless you. At least 10 people said hi to me. I didn't know who they were. And I guess they came to church these past few weeks. I don't know who you are. I'm so sorry if you ever hear this CD. Jesus loves you. And why? And they're telling people, like, I heard you're a pastor. How old are you? Like, I'm 24. Oh, we've got to come to your church. Okay. <laughs> why? Because fire attracts people. You're never, ever going to tell somebody that there's a fire. No. Puerto Ricans run to it. How about y'all? We chase everything. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? When you, you know how you know when you're on fire for God? Can I give you a clear indicator of when you know you are completely ablaze for God? Can I help you out today? When your friends do one of two things. Come to you for Christian advice when they're not Christian. And when they ask you, can I come to church with you? If we got to always keep on inviting them, we're not that on fire. I'm just saying. That's an ouch, right? If you're going to be like, come on, please come to church. Come on, come to church. You're going to love it. I promise you'll love it. And yeah, they come and end up loving it, but they should have loved it because they saw what was in you. And sometimes we're the very thing that stops them from coming to church, but I won't go there today. Fire attracts people. This Sunday was an awesome, fantastic, wonderful service. The preaching was, was, was very power-packed, very short. I made it sweet and short for you guys. Um, I got such reviews from me. People were calling me, texting me, emailing me, all types of stuff. Uh, the place was completely packed out. We had almost no seats available during praise and worship. It was an awesome experience, but it's all for nothing if we're not spiritually maturing as a core. So if we capture our minds in the next couple of weeks, I'm preaching this Sunday on revival, man. I, I believe that it's time that God really just brings something completely different. I don't care about this whole Easter thing right now. I, I really don't. Easter is a man-made holiday with just bun bunnies and running around and stuff. And I'll touch a little bit on it. But my point is that I believe that right now is the season that God wants to wake up a church. That God wants to wake up. There's no point in having 160, 180 people here on Sunday and not talking to them about saving their life and reviving their life. I encourage each and every one of you to get on your knees so we can start praying, man. Start praying for Friday night service and Sunday night service. Start praying for the people around you. Start praying for the people you know are coming. You're hearing this. Start reaching out to the people. Start saying, you know what, I'm excited. When you build excitement, I'm telling you, things happen. You've got to build that fire up in your life. Keep on giving it fuel. Every time you see it dying, give it fuel. Read the Word of God. Start praying and capture your mind. Stop letting the devil think that you are going to never make it. Is it not how it starts, that we start doubting God? We start doubting that God called us, doubting that God is real. We've got to capture all these thoughts that come every week. It's the same things every week. We fall for the same thing every time. You hearing me? How many of you fall for the same thing over and over and over sometimes? Into the same old pit. And the funny thing is that you, you dug the pit and you know where it's at. And yet you still keep falling in. I, I, I'm guilty of it myself. I'm not perfect. I'm telling you, man. You'd be surprised how imperfect I am. But I'm amazed at how God has redeemed me nonetheless. Amen. Come on, let's get up.
I'm excited for what God's doing in the church, man. I'm excited for the continued things that he wants to do in your life. And um, I believe that if you were to take and, and to put this into real practice in your life, that you can be able to see God and, and view God in a way that you did not previously think possible. We hear it all the time. That in order to go places you've never gone, you've got to do some things you've never done. But also, in order to go places you've never done, you have to walk a path that you've never been on. And so to grow spiritually and to grow in your life, you've got to walk this Christian path in places you have not been on. I want to close with this thought. Uh, I've been driving around Bridgeport a lot this week for whatever reasons. And we have like the biggest potholes because of the rain. And the rain takes and it comes down and it hits the dirt and the gravel under the asphalt that now has been plowed up by what? by the plows during the winter storms. So first comes the snow, then comes the plows, and the plows take and they catch on and they make these holes in the ground. And then the rain comes and hits it and makes it deeper because every time a car drives over it, it washes more of it out. What am I saying? That when it rains down blessings in your life, it's going to cause some potholes on the road of your life and that you've got to deal with how to deal and ride on these potholes. You gotta learn how to ride these potholes out. You gotta start swerving around them. You hearing this? Blessings cause problems in your life. Yes, they do. No doubt about it. From people getting upset at you to you being not able to handle your blessings, it's gonna cause some issues in your life. And some blessings we don't want, like people letting go. I'm just saying, I'm gonna leave that alone. Some of those blessings you don't want when God opens the door for you to, to run for your life. Come on, grab the hand of the person next to you. Let's pray. I'm not going to let these potholes mess my life up. Somebody say amen. Dear Father, we come into your presence, God. We thank you, Lord, for, for the continued work that you've been doing in this church, God, that you're doing in our lives, God, all across this city, God, and Christians across the city, God, that you would awaken our spirits, God, that you would bring us to a deeper level of communion with you, God, that you would speak to our hearts and speak to our minds, Father, that we would see you, God, and that we would work on your behalf for your kingdom, God. God, that we'll be dragging people in, God, but that they, we won't have to drag them in, God, but they'll see the fire in us, God, and they'll want to come into this place, God, to desire and to see what you've been doing in us, God. God, raise up a true church on fire, Father God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.